0: Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Muskoka Drawdown.
1: Welcome to Muskoka Drawdown. I'm your host, Frank DeYoung. I'm here on behalf of Climate Action Muskoka. Check out the Climate Action Muskoka website and sign up for the free weekly newsletter. Have some fun with the carbon calculator. Join the community carbon challenge. Create your personal action plan to reduce your carbon footprint. My guest today is Gord Miller. Gord is the chairman of the board of directors of Earth Roots he is treasurer of Friends of Muskoka Watershed. He has been a Green Party candidate in Guelph and Paris and Muskoka, and he was the Environment Commissioner of Ontario. Now, I'm saying all these things, but Gord Miller doesn't really require an introduction. People know him for decades already doing the work of the angels. Welcome, Gord. Well, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to have you on our show. You are an, an equal star in this province. I'm proud to know you myself. Um, I'd like to just start from the, the bottom of that list of your of what you're doing these days and give a few words about it. And then we'll talk mostly about earth roots, um, which is what uh, I really wanted to dig into today a little bit. So you were the Environment Commissioner of Ontario for three terms. Is that correct? That's correct. 15 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, was that satisfying that you got to get the- Well, it was very good. I mean,
0: people have to understand, you know, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding. Of course, the job's gone now. So, I, I, I talk in historic terms. Uh, the right. Environmental Commissioner of Ontario uh, was, was a position created by the Environmental Bill of Rights legislation. Right. And, uh, but it was an officer of the Legislative Assembly, like the Auditor General or, you know, or the Ombudsman. People know the Auditor General and the Ombudsman uh, terms better. But You'd, you're an independent officer, and you get to and you report directly to the legislative assembly. You don't, you know, you don't have a boss in, in the traditional sense, and you're not you're not appointed by the government. So you know, you I went, I had four different premiers
1: I served under. <laughs> and I that's, that's amazing, and and I know I followed you the whole time there, and you were a real voice for um, for the voiceless, which is um, well, that that was uh, the attitude you have
0: being a uh, you know, and a, not, a, not an appointment by the government, just a, an officer of the legislature. So your job was to to speak to, speak to the people and speak to the exactly. legislature.
1: Yeah, and that was great. Um, you were also a Green Party candidate a couple of times. Uh, was that a good experience for you? Did you feel good about uh, speaking out on uh, from a political um, platform?
0: Okay. No, sure. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, I have no problem public speaking. I've spoken thousands of times. So the political scene is a very natural uh, place for me um but you know it's always uh you do your best and it's a little bit frustrating in the sense that uh, you know the, the, your message doesn't doesn't penetrate enough uh but uh, you just gotta keep up keep up a good fight
1: well i think your message did penetrate and if we had proportional representation there'd probably be a pretty good um group of uh, elected uh, green party people at the legislatures which is a sort of a that they were
0: trapped by our political system and uh First past the post, and boy, well, it's, uh, it's yeah.
1: frustrating. Certainly. Um, you're the treasurer of Friends of Muskoka. I believe you live in Muskoka, is that not correct? I'm in Bracebridge, yeah. We live in Bracebridge. Tell us a little bit about um, the Muskoka Watershed uh, people.
0: Well, Friends of Muskoka Watershed is a, is a, a local a, a NGO and, a, and an incorporated group, a charitable group. We have a charity. And uh, people people know us for a number of things. Basically, it's a lot of science-based stuff that we do about the the, the watershed the the quality of the water and the lakes in, in Muskoka. And our, our, our biggest project that people know us for is the uh, collection of wood ash to be distributed in test plots in, in the forests to uh, make up for the deficiency of calcium. Because over years and years of, of acid rain that occurred through the Muskokas the calcium uh, mineral got drained from the soil, which is very detrimental to uh, especially, not all trees, but especially sugar maple, and what we've been doing is collecting wood ash from people. We have a thousand people who donate uh, wood ash to our organization, and we have uh, various uh, test, mostly t- test plots. We've also worked in uh, maple syrup uh, uh, wood dots, and uh, shown that we can increase the yield of maple syrup and things, restore the forest um, with with the addition of calcium. We other work we work on road salt and other things too, but that's. Probably our biggest, uh, our biggest. Hey,
1: you're, this is sort of a version of a small version of what went on around Sudbury, right? To because of acid rain, was it not?
0: Well, I suppose in Sudbury, the, uh, the the yes, it was a, but it was just trying to neutralize the acid that is built up. Here, it's a little more subtle, in the sense that the forest looks healthy, but the the health has been leached out of it so like the way that when i was commissioned the way we described the problem we say is that in muskoka here if you cut down all the mature trees in the forest there isn't enough calcium left in the soil to regrow that forest
1: so it's, tell me a little bit about calcium i thought wood ash was to uh, um it was a base uh, to, to uh so uh and then calcium is the is the uh the ion that
0: we need to stimulate uh, the tree growth and it's the one in short supply it also affects the lakes like so, you know, you have uh, all the creatures of the lakes, so some of the zooplankton people don't see, but things like crayfish and clams people see, and they are all deficient in calcium in, in the Muskoka lakes because they're, well, they're very soft water lakes to start with. So that's, let's, let's face it, they're very uh, nutriented or uh, uh, right. most of them in the water in, in, the, in the lakes in the natural condition of Muskoka. When the acid rain did, it just leached it out. In a, in a very deleterious way over the century, over the over the decades, it just was decades.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So, tell me a little bit about acid rain. Is it has is uh, the problem solved, or are we still? Is it still a oh, uh, factor? It's. I mean, okay. I guess
0: you'd say, in a, in a practical sense, the problem is solved. I mean, there still is acid rain. It's much much less than it was, uh, which is great. Uh, we in this particular area here in Muskoka, you we used to get hit hard from stuff from Illinois and. Uh, Indiana from the states coming across that was the the big source for for the acid rain oh sometimes it would come down from Sudbury, but rarely sometimes from further south but uh over the years you know there's been a big campaign to get the coal plant either closed coal plants or to get them yeah. with the full treatment uh, to remove the the, uh, the the sulfur emissions so uh, things are vastly improved let's put it that way uh, and lakes are coming back uh, but is it is it actually gone? No, it's there at a low level. We still have to be diligent, but uh, but the the natural system is responding positively, gradually, which is well, good.
1: While we're talking about the lakes in Muskoka, can you tell us a little bit about the algae blooms that are worrying people?
0: Well, the algae blooms are are a real issue, and in, in what we don't have the full answer here. I should <laughs> should be cautious right off the bat. the 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 fact, The strange thing about you know we, we've had algae blooms, so uh, this is a uh, uh, cyanobacter, the uh, blue-green algae that, that can have actually toxic effects. Now, those have been you know, present with us forever, uh, and, but you usually see them in, in harder waters in Southern Ontario and things, when there's a, a nutrient addition or such things. And all of a sudden, in the last few decades, they've been popping up in Muskoka and in some of the soft water areas, very, very clean lakes. And some of the lakes are you know no development around them at all, no obvious source of, of, of any kind of pollutants. Uh, so the, uh, it, it is a strange phenomenon. It, it appears to be linked with the gradual warming of the climate uh, yeah. and uh, that sort of thing. And, and we're still, scientists are still struggling with the details and that because it, we, we 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 understand some mecha aspects of the mechanism, why these blue green algaes are blooming in soft water. But, but we really don't. We really don't understand the trigger, and we're a long way from uh, being able to mitigate, you know, to say, how can we stop this? I don't think we're there yet. Yeah,
1: you know, it's very interesting. Uh, okay, now let's go. Uh, you're also the chairman of the board of the director of Earth Roots. Earth Roots is based in Toronto, but it's an Ontario uh, environmental organization that does advocacy and lobbying in two separate. Tell me, I, I sort of know it myself, the history of Earth Roots. Did it not start with the Tamagami Wilderness Society? That's right. Wow. Yes, I, I was a member of the Tamagami Wilderness Society. Were you? I was, and actually, I got arrested in Chamogamy a couple of years later at Owain Lake, a couple of years oh, wait, after well, the main, 19, That
0: was the w- w- 1993 blockade.
1: That is correct. That was was, only, I think about 70 people were arrested then, and I feel still very proud of my... Including <laughs> the executive director of Rose, by the way. <laughs> was <laughs> that you, part perchance? <laughs> yeah. well, not me. Yeah. I, I was...
0: Uh, I, in Owain Lake, I was the uh, district... At that time in my career, I was the district manager for the Ministry of the Environment, so I was there... <laughs> in a different function and yeah, I know uh, and then I
1: remember um uh, Mike but Harris in 89 got, uh, that was the big blockade on the Red Squirrel Road yes I know that was the big one with Bob Ray got arrested there too yeah yeah but just so people know none of us ever did get charged we were um we were we were exonerated because uh that was the provincial government with of uh, Mike Harris was breaking his own uh forestry legislation so we got off in those, all those all those uh, all well, Harris wasn't there in 93. That was uh, Peterson. Yeah, I was involved in the Big Trees, Not Big Stumps campaign, the Shadow Peterson program at the time, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was fun. Anyway, we have to take a quick break, uh, Gord, and then I want to talk more about about Earth Roots activities uh, all over Ontario. Uh, So uh, hang on. We'll be back in a couple of minutes.
0: By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Muskoka Drawdown.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Muskoka Drawdown. My guest today is Gord Miller. And he is the chairman of the board of um, of Earthroots, which is a very active, uh, vibrant environmental organization uh, across Ontario. Uh, Gord, welcome back. And can you tell us a little bit more about the activities of, of Earth Roots? I understand there's five main um, campaigns that Earthroots is engaged well, in. Well,
0: we've come up with a new way and sort of try to casting our, our overall function for people. And by the way, it's Earthroots, and we're a donor supported, we're earthroots.org. You know, we, we exist because for 34 years because the people of ontario have been kicking in a few bucks from time to time or every month
1: so anything well, well we donated place. My, um, par- my partner and i donated last year so we helped you a little there you bit. Are. okay <laughs> wow it's a new year <laughs> well that's right don't worry well we're, we're particularly interested in the wolf program we have a place on the magnetawan and we love following the activities of wolves and in their interaction with coyotes oh, yeah. i'd like to hear you talk about that too if you get a chance
0: Sure. Well, those are one of the programs. And let's say you can loosely divide. I mean, we're, well, we're through, as I always said, we're about wilderness, wildlife, and watersheds, right? But, uh, and, but you can loosely divide our activities into what we do in the northern woods and what we do in the, the southern, built-up South Ontario plains. But they're both, they start with the first point of view, and that's to protect the landscape and the quality of the landscape. In the north, we're all about uh, parks and, and um uh, conservation reserves and protected lands and 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 with that and because of the forest wolves being the apex predator in all these forests the wolves are a very big element of, of protecting the function of the landscape in northern terror the biodiversity so we've had a lot of uh general programs about wolves over the years yeah. now we focusing recently on the uh, uh, well we call it the ogonquin wolf the yeah. government has just changed its name by the way in the last month they call it the Eastern Wolf now, but I don't oh, no. know.
1: I can never keep track. I thought it was the Red Wolf for a while.
0: Well, it, it's yeah, it's all tied into the genetics, and the the, the Red Wolf was the. If you want to take a minute, we're we'll talking about wolves. Uh, the, the thing about wolves is that uh, uh, in North America we have the Gray Wolf, which is the 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 Timber Wolf that people in Northern Ontario know, the very large one, and yeah. the hunt moose and that sort of thing. Those that those wolves are are came to us to north america from siberia they're, they're circumpolar uh, but the there is a, a, a and then we have coyotes which is a different animal the coyote is a, is a, a north american animal but we have also have had a a, a north american evolved wolf a canid, which is sometimes called historically the red wolf in, in the united states which is largely largely been extirpated from large, the united states some argument whether it's totally extinct or not but one group of those ones from that same genetic base is in Eastern Canada. And so, and they interbred with the coyotes, not out west. They didn't read out west, but interbred with these old, these old red wolf genes with the coyotes and to some extent with the gray wolf to the north. So we end up with this medium-sized wolf across the Algonquin forest, all across Park into Quebec. Yeah. and uh that's the that's the Algonquin wolf it's just so it's, gen, it's genes and the purest sense are north american evolved it's his own species but uh it has crossed uh right a little bit and so it has intermediate characteristics
1: are are wolves still hunted in ontario
0: unfortunately yes uh the wolves are one of the things we do at earth is we 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 keep trying to uh, it's, it's a tough thing it's expensive and we've got all the citizen scientists trying to work with us but uh, uh, we're trying to map the, the, the area of, of where the Algonquin wolf really is, how extensive And it's in the park, it's in Algonquin Park, it's in, and the park is, of course, protected. And then uh, all the boundary, the townships all around the boundary of the park are all uh, protected from hunting. But beyond that, there is a wolf hunting season. So we're, we've been trying to, to identify, if we can show that, for instance, say, say here in Bracebridge, if we can say that if we can show genetically that there are the wolves in the forest near bearby here in 118 that are um uh, we may yeah well if we can show that they're uh Agonkin wolves wolves genetically then the, the protection can be extended to this area so that's we've been working yeah. on that um, for some years now
1: great um okay. i'd like just to put in a word for the 25 by 2025 and 30 by 2030 uh campaign it seems to be a internationally uh accepted treaty to uh, protect water and forest do you think we're gonna achieve that in canada
0: well uh, i mean the optimist in then says yes we should and we will you know but uh, boy it's tough look at look at the look at the look at the protected islands in southern Ontario that we work on the, the green belt we just had the you know we've had the premier of the province so um, Fully totally violate his own commitment uh, and yeah. encroach on those lands and and give up. So, you know, it's a constant fight to yeah. uh, protect what we have and to even modestly increase the protected lands across the North uh, and in the South. Uh, but uh, it's a tough battle. So, to substantively expand the amount of protected land, like those that the, the, the uh, projections are internationally, I mean, highly desirable, really important for biodiversity protection. Yeah. But but it's going to be a tough uh, tough slide with the with the political will we have in place.
1: Yeah, back to the to the greenbelt issue. Uh, not to um, just to play the devil's advocate, but uh, Doug Ford did say they were adding other land to compensate, even beyond what they're planning to take out for the new freeway. Is that a, a specious argument?
0: Well, if you. Look at this, it gets, really gets down to the, the detail because the, the lands, what he did, he said, oh, well, we're going to, in the West, we're going to open up, you know, we're going to put more lands under Greenbelt protection, but we're going to, you know, sacrifice these lands that the developers want, including, but the, you know, it's a matter of the quality of the habitat. The Greenbelt right. was a, a, a functioning zone. It was designed with intent and it, it rubs up right against, against the Rouge National Park, for instance. Well, guess what? Some of the lands that they're giving up are ad- adjacent to the Rouge National Park. Well, that interrupts the continuity. See, So it becomes a really detailed retailed uh, de- argument or discussion, you know, what what quality of land and how it's affecting. But the key point is, the key point is he promised he wouldn't ever compromise the Green Belt, and he has. So yeah. what's to stop him from taking the next chunk, right? Well, exactly. Respects, it, the, the fact that he took some and added some in the Far West uh, just gives you an excuse to say, okay, well, let's we'll hey, we'll take this stuff and we'll just add some somewhere else. Hey, it's no problem. We're going to yeah. keep biting chunks out of the Greenbelt. You can't do
1: that. Okay. Uh, Earthroots also has one of their campaigns is on turtles and one is on pollinators. Can you itemize those a little bit? Sure.
0: Well, the, um, so the, the part of this, uh, we talked about landscape protection being in the north, it's, it's you know, it's in, in the forest. In the south, it's uh, largely focused around the Greenbelt. But it, within that, we're, there are issues of biodiversity. And, and it's, there's, a, there's public education and there's absolute protection. And so the, the, so the pollinator example is the, we know that pollinators are in big trouble. Uh, there's a whole other side. So what, what can we do positively? Well, EarthRuse is coordinating with a bunch of municipalities, a bunch of groups, trying to encourage municipalities in the, in the province to, to undertake a program we call uh, pollinator highways. And that is, you know, all the lands associated with those regional roads and highways through Southern Ontario, um, yeah. why not manage them and plant them and manage them to support the flowering plants that that enhance the the pollinators? So I mean, that land is available, it's not agricultural land, we don't have to yeah. worry about, you know, crop protection. And it, and so that's so that's one positive thing the turtle thing. And turtles are all threatened or endangered, all the species we have. And, and a lot of that is, is public education uh, in terms of uh, telling people where they are and what to do when you see one crossing the road uh, and that, that sort of thing. And it's, the sense of lands they need for uh, for nesting
1: does uh do counties and municipalities still spray um like uh roadsides the, the ditches do they still spray them with pesticides or no, not, not
0: not nearly like it was you and i remember when they sprayed yeah. them intensely, and uh, they had to put up signs ground vetch do not spray because yeah, uh, i remember that yeah be, but no that most of the spraying has died but it's some aspect of environment but but mostly it's cost yeah so <laughs> and, but 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 it, not spraying is one thing, but bringing them back in, exactly. in the high, high flowering things is, is requires extra effort.
1: Another uh, issue Earthroots is, is uh, helping out is the grassy narrows. That's um, mercury in the water because of logging. Is does logging still produce... oh, not because of logging
0: because of a pulp and paper mill?
1: Oh, that's what I meant, pulp and paper mill. And yeah. does pulp and paper mills do they still um, spew? No. Uh, that's, so this is legacy mercury in the waters of grassy narrows.
0: Well, we got into into the English Wabigoon Weber system back in the day when we when they used metallic mercury in their in their processing. As part of the processing, they had uh, uh plants they're called to generate uh, some of the chemical products they needed. That's years ago, but nonetheless, mercury pollution is very permanent, very long lasting. It's actually mercury and, and the lands on the mill are contaminated. There's uh, we've been we you mentioned that uh, we get some direct action from time to time. We snuck a crew in there a few years ago into the lands behind the mill, tr- trying to locate where we find there's an illegal landfill site. But but notwithstanding, notwithstanding any of that, there's, there's mercury in the river, and, uh,
1: and that will continue to
0: contaminate the fish
1: for a very, very long time. Yeah. I... um. I paddled the Atwapscat River for a month last uh, last summer in northern Ontario, and actually the literature says that there is there is natural mercury in that That's river, and I guess, uh, but it's a question of the amount of it. And
0: yeah, there's no question. There's if you disturb the, the Atwapscat River and all those uh, those Bay lowlands plains, if uh, because they over over the centuries and certainly since in the, in the uh, industrial age, uh, a slot, mercury has been coming down in the rain from from moved it's in the atmosphere from burning of coal and 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 it's been collecting and if you disturb those lands you will release some of that but the mm-hmm. order of magnitude difference the orders of magnitude difference uh, what's happening in grassy arrows is it is you can find metallic mercury it's like at high concentrations gets in the fill and it's causing minamata disease in in the, in, the, in the native peoples indigenous peoples there so uh, now they try to avoid it nowadays but originally when it was identified uh, and that's a long. That's a far, far more serious contamination. It is localized. I mean, a big area, but the low-level mercury contamination you're talking about—that's more of an issue of uh, about, say, the Ring of Fire and some of the mines up there. Yeah. If they start disturbing the uh, upper layer of peat, they naturally will release some of the accumulated low-level mercury,
1: and that will yeah. find its way to the fish because it's very aggressively. Bioaccumulates. People, yeah, I'm very, I'm very glad that the, the De Beers mine is now being closed, and there's no other, no other diamond mine being being yeah. opened. That's mm-hmm. good, right. and I hope to, that uh, Ring of Fire never ever happens. Apparently, there's no financial case, and never has been for it. So let's hope that continues. I don't know. I hear, I hear all sorts of stories in on that one. So. I know. Anyway, Gord, I really appreciate it. you are a provincial treasure, if not a national treasure. I really appreciate you coming on my show. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. You do it anytime. Thank you. Bye for now.
0: I went to the country to escape the noise and lights. And I laid
1: there in the pine cones all night. I woke in the morning and all the trees were gone. I got this sinking feeling everything felt wrong. There were strip malls and dollar stores and diesel in the